0: A special privilege. I have a special privilege of one of my good friends coming here. He's never been to, I don't think, have you ever been to South Carolina at all even? So never been to South Carolina. This is the first time in South Carolina. Uh, Dave Kraft has been my coach for six plus years, I think, or so. He is, um, we have talked every couple weeks or so and uh, been a huge blessing and encouragement to me personally. Dave has been a believer for 63 years, I think, or so. And um, longer than I've been alive, and that's wonderful. And he's been a believer for 63 years, married for 54, something like that, 54 years or so. Uh, Dave uh, was originally saved. A few years later, he went and joined the Navigators. It's the same group, in case you're wondering, that Jerry Bridges used to be a part of before he passed away. And Dave ministered to Navigators in, in many different places for about 37 years, was a pastor for many years in several different churches and then now Dave is, is sees it as his mission to help raise up and train and equip other leaders. And so that's what he's doing um, in his very young age of 83. So Dave is still more spry and energetic than anyone. I love Dave because he loves Jesus. So if you'll welcome him, Dave, go ahead and come up, and we'd love to have you.
1: On. Okay. One, two, three, go. No. Sure, on? <laughs> one, two, one. Good? Okay. So as i have saying, I'm delighted to be here. Delighted to be in South Carolina. Uh, we had some South Carolina food yesterday. It was pretty small. It wasn't enough of it. <laughs> we had some grits that uh, both Matt and I agree wasn't really grits. It was purple. No, they were not good. They Are, are good. grits normally purple? No. No. <laughs> well, I remember a number of years ago, I, uh, I heard George Allen, who at the time was 90. And he was uh, asked to come out and speak somewhere. And he stood up and he said, I want to tell you I'm really glad to be here today. At my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. <laughs> and I'm not as old as George Burns. I don't know if I'll live to be 90, but I'm getting closer. But I want you to know that I'm glad to be here. Not just anywhere, but here. Because I've heard so many marvelous things about your church, and how you love Jesus, and how you're focused on the gospel. And, and I want to build on that this morning. So would you just uh, bow your heads as I just pray for a moment before we start. Lord, I thank you for this, your word. And I thank you for these, your people. And by your grace, through your gospel, I pray this morning that you would speak to these, your people, through this, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to share uh, some thoughts with you this morning that for me have totally revolutionized my understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus and live out of that walk. To truly understand the two thoughts that we're going to be talking about this morning will change everything in your understanding of the gospel and being able to live out that gospel. And the two thoughts are this, building on one foundation as anchoring... Your identity in Jesus, and then developing intimacy with Jesus. And the second one flows out of the first one. You can't really experience intimacy with Jesus if you're not anchored with your identity in Jesus. So we're going to take the first one, identity, and then we're going to move to the second one. Are hearts anchored in Jesus? Our identity with Jesus. It was uh, Calvin who said that our hearts are idol factories. And we just talked a couple of minutes ago about idolatry, and recited from the Catechism. It's having something else as your anchor, as your identity, other than Jesus Christ and His Gospel. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah, uh, chapter two and verse thirteen. It says, "My people." have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water." So you wander away from the truth, the foundation. You wander away from having your identity in Christ. and If that were not bad enough, then you substitute that with something else. And so that's the heart of idolatry. 1 John 5.21, in many translations, it says, Keep yourself from idols. Dear children, keep away from idols. But in the old living Bible, which I'm old enough to remember when that first came out, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. And for every one of us, it can be something different that becomes a a God-substitute a counterfeit god something that's not real something that's not going to last and hold us up and it can be any number of things it can be clothes it can be sports it can be cars it can be jobs it can be another person that takes god's place in your heart and becomes more important to you than god himself Deuteronomy verse uh, excuse me Deuteronomy 30 verse 20 Uh, is a verse that I've been recently meditating on and, and thinking about. And it says, Loving the Lord your God. Loving the Lord your God. Obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. You can only do that through the power of the gospel. Jesus who died for you and me, who rose again from the dead, who sent us His Holy Spirit to live in us and empower us, and then he's returning to us, for us. I'm going to repeat the verse again, Deuteronomy 30, verse 20. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Now from that I've got that he's both the quality and the quantity of my life. He is my life and the length of my days. He is your life. Your life is not your 401k. Your life is not your job. Your life is not your house or your neighborhood or the stuff that you might have acquired at this point in your life. He is your life. Having Our identity clearly anchored in him. There's an old hymn. I was going to read to you some of the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What are you building your hope on? I dare not trust The sweetest frame. As sweet as it might be, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So, whatever else you might be building it on, it's sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Not some, but all other else is sinking sand. But Jesus told the story about the man who built his house on the rock as opposed to the man who built his house on the sand. Years ago, I read a story, a very interesting but sad story about a man, and there's been several people like this, that scaled buildings went up the face of a building by just putting his fingers in windows and putting his toes in little spots wherever he could find them and he had nothing attached to him, no wires uh, they call it free climbing, or free, there's a word for it, where you climb up a mountain or a rock with no net and no, nothing if you fall, that's it, it's over and before he started going up he went up to the top of the roof of this building and he tied a small cord Pretty, pretty, you know, maybe this big, but strong enough. And he attached it, and then he hung it right at the tip of the building. So when he got to the top, he could loosen his feet, grab, and pull himself up. So people were standing down on the street, watching him, as little by little, he went up, 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 got all the way to the top, and looked up, and he reached for what he thought was that cord, so he could pull himself up. But it wasn't a cord, it was a spider's web, glistening in the sun. So when as he grabbed it, it disappeared and he fell to his death. A spider's web that he grabbed a hold of and thought it was strong enough to hold him. So listen to this verse from Job 8.15. Their confidence hangs by a thread. They are leaning on a spider's web. Now what, what could that spider's web be for you that you might be leaning on, clinging to, hoping, and, and hanging on for dear life. We're all familiar with a story in the Bible about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Now, Jesus told him to sell everything that he had, and give to the poor, and follow him. And the man turned away. So here is that same verse from Matthew 19 in the message. After Jesus told him what he needed to do, this was his response. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. I remember the first time I read that, it was a sobering moment for me, and I just sat there looking at that verse, Going over get in my mind, he was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. And so I just stopped right there, and I worshiped him and said, Lord, what is it in my life right now that I'm hanging on tightly to other than you, and I'm unable to let go of it, whatever it might be? And over the years, it's changed for me. So right now I've got several things that I've written down. Finances. Am I holding on tight to the the money, thinking, well, that money's my life, my 401, whatever I've saved? It's a spider's web. My health. Am I hanging on to my health? I've had some health issues over the years. I had prostate cancer, went through that on my arm. If you can see it, I've got a scar there. They took out a melanoma not too long ago. If you've had one, you can get others. That, That can be the end of it. Hanging on to stuff. How many are familiar with the country singer Alan Jackson? Raise your hand if you've ever heard any of his songs. Okay, several of you. He's got a song that he recorded when he was 60 years old called The Older I Get. It's a great song. If you can find it on Spotify or iTunes. But But there's a line in the song where he says, it's the people you love not the money and stuff that makes you rich. It's the people you love, and we might say it's the Lord you love, of all the people, he's the most important people, the most important person. It's the people you love, not the money and stuff that make you rich. But you know that our culture is telling you just the opposite. It is the money and stuff that makes you rich. But that's not true. And the reason you know it's not true is you've never seen a hearst pulling a U-Haul trailer. You never take any of it with you. You leave it all behind. The only thing that goes into eternity is people. The people you love, not the money and stuff. So anchoring my identity in Jesus, in his gospel, in his death, in his resurrection, in his blood... He paid it all, and all to him I owe, anchoring my identity in Jesus and in no one else or nothing else. Now, that doesn't happen just like this. It's a process over years where God weans you off of having your identity in other things or other people where it's solely in him. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other else is sinking sand. So identity, anchoring my identity in Jesus and then having intimacy with Jesus. Now when we talk about intimacy, we're probably talking about spiritual habits of the heart. You don't get intimacy just automatically. Intimacy is a result of sitting quietly before Jesus like Mary did at his feet and not running around like Martha, busy, busy, busy. But I think, once again, we live in a culture where it's busy, 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 faster, faster, faster. Recently I ran across a verse, I'm going to turn to it here, that uh, I make it a habit of my life to memorize a new verse, or a couple of verses, um, every month. And this is the verse I picked for the month of May. This is Ecclesiastes eight sixteen in the New Living Translation. In my search for wisdom... And in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity, ceaseless activity day and night. And I, as I've been meditating on this over the last few days, I said, Wouldn't it be nice if it read, There is ceaseless solitude, there is ceaseless peace, there is ceaseless worship, there is ceaseless adoration. But sad, it says there is ceaseless activity. And one of my recent thoughts is, things haven't changed much in 3,000 years. Go, 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 faster, 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 more, 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 bigger, 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 better, better, better. We just go, 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 go. And a lot of people are just exhausted and tired most of the time. And to get that intimacy, we need, by God's grace, to slow down and just quiet our hearts and learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus, both in community and individually, and and just to hear his encouragement to us, that he loves us, that we are beloved, that we are the apple of his eye, that he cares about us, that he's watching over us, that he's going to take care of us, good care of us. Now sometimes when you mention disciplines or habits of the heart uh, some people in our theological circle will push back and say well that's effort, that's law, that's legalism. I love a statement by Dallas Willard who was for many years a professor of philosophy at U- not the USC here that we talk about but the USC in Southern California. And So we say, well we had USC here in Carolina before California was even a state. That's true, but when you say USC, unfortunately they still think of USC in Southern California. And Dallas Willard made this statement. God and grace are not opposed to effort, but to earning. You do what you do, you you make effort, and the Bible talks a lot about making efforts. Do this and do that and put on and practice this. And God and grace are not opposed to that, as long as it's effort and not earning. But if you do what you do by the way of spiritual disciplines in order to earn God's favor, then it's not right. You don't have to earn God's favor if you've received Christ and surrendered yourself to him. You already have God's favor. You don't practice spiritual disciplines in order to be loved. You practice them because you were already loved. So we don't want to get the cart before the horse. But having said that, I think it's very biblical to have a set of personal disciplines that you practice, that enable you to develop that intimacy. And part of it is just that quietness. So Jesus did not rebuke Mary because she was sitting at his feet and listening to him. He rebuked her sister who was running around. We have the restaurants in Southern California. I don't know if you have them here in South Carolina called El Pollo Loco. Do you have El po- Anybody speak Spanish? Know what El Pollo Loco means? The crazy chicken, (laughs) running around, running around, running around, crazy chickens. We we don't want to be crazy chickens like Martha. We want to be quiet and sit at the feet of Jesus. It's interesting when you find an athlete or a musician who's very talented and very good, we greatly admire them. And you might even say, so I wish I could play the piano like so-and-so can play the piano. I wish I could swim like so-and-so. I wish I could do gymnastics like that lady or that, or that young man or that young lady does. So the question is, are you willing to discipline yourself and dedicate yourself and devote yourself to hours and hours and hours? Now here's what I find interesting. Never in all of my 83 years have I ever heard somebody say about an athlete or musician that they are legalistic. But they'll say that about a Christian. So I have this habit. Oh, you're just being legalistic. Can't we just say, no, I'm, by God's grace, I'm disciplined. I'm devoted. I'm dedicated. I practice certain habits of the heart. Now, naturally, and sometimes I don't do it and I miss it. If I'm traveling or it's Christmas time and my rhythms get... But as a general rule, these are my habits of the heart. Either like in the morning or in the evening, you have rhythms and patterns that you practice... In your walk and your relationship with Jesus in order to develop that intimacy. Uh, Proverbs 10:17 in the message says the road to life is a disciplined life. But discipline is so hard. It's hard to be consistent. It was Charles Swindoll that said, the problem with life is it's so daily. Well, I did it on Tuesday, right, and then you have to do it on Wednesday, and then Thursday, and then Friday, and then Saturday, and then next week on Monday and on Tuesday. We can do it with a lot of things, but somehow the devil gets in and messes with us and tells us we don't have to read our Bibles regularly. God loves you if you don't go to church. God loves you if you don't read your Bible. God loves you if you don't pray. That's true. But still, the Bible is very clear on encouraging us to practice spiritual disciplines. And you have several Uh, passages on this, probably the premier one is 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about a runner in a race, how he disciplines himself and and manages himself in order to finish well. So I remember when I became a Christian, uh, I worked at the post office, I was a a postal service, I was a mailman for I think eight or nine years. And I used to start work at 6 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m. I didn't get up at 6 a.m. I started work at 6 a.m., so I was getting up about 5 a.m. And then I became a Christian. So the young people's group that I was a part of, I was 20 years old at the time, they said, well, Dave, you need to, now you need to start getting up early in the morning. I thought, isn't 5 a.m. early enough in the morning? No, you need to get up earlier so you can build a habit of reading your Bible and praying. And I said, okay, so maybe I should back it up and start getting up like at 4.30 in the morning. And I said, that's going to be difficult because I need to go to bed earlier. So what happened was I was part of a youth group and came around 8, 30, 9. uh, I'd be in the room and we would be eating or having fun or so forth. And I tried to get out of the room without being noticed. So what I would do is I'd only put my left hand behind my arm and I'd sort of kind of move toward the door unlocked the door and sort of hoped I could just back out and smile and close the door behind me. But there was a young lady in the group named Dordine Parker. She always managed to see me. I think she had eyes behind her head. And she would say, hold it, hold it, stop, everybody. The pumpkin is going home. (laughs) Where did she get that from? Cinderella, Cinderella, right. And it hurt a little bit because I was called out and embarrassed and... But I thought, but I know I'm doing the right thing. By God's grace, I want to be able to discipline myself to get up and to spend time reading scripture, praying, doing various things that over the years, it's changed over the years, but I still have a set of uh, habits that I have. And it's one of the, by God's grace, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. So now it is a habit, even though it's been 63 years since I became a Christian, it's still my... Habit to get up early in the morning and to spend time with Jesus sitting at his feet like Mary. Habits of the heart. Now these habits are probably going to spin out of two different things. Scripture and prayer. Out of scripture and prayer could flow a number of different things. Bible meditation, scripture memory, Bible study, praise, worship, uh, journaling, fasting, giving, I and mean, there are books on spiritual disciplines. You can just type. Dallas Willard wrote a, a book on spiritual disciplines. A guy named Whitney wrote a book on spiritual Just go to Amazon and type in Christian spiritual disciplines, a number of books. And you can talk to Matt or any of your elders here at church or any of your leaders and say, if I were to read one book on spiritual disciplines, what one book would you recommend? And you can, you can get some ideas. They flow out of word and prayer, just like two oars on a boat or two pedals on a bike. If you only pedal with one pedal, it's just a matter of time, your bike's going to tip over. And if you row on a boat with one oar, what's going to happen? You're just going to go in circles. So you need to pull on both oars, you need to work both pedals of the bike. Well, I'm going to give you uh, just a practical thing that I've been practicing for a number of years. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. I call it the four R's that I practice when I just read scripture. And here they are. The first R is just read. I remember the man that came to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I'm so excited. He said, I, I finally begin to understand the book of Revelation. That's interesting. The pastor said, what happened? He said, I started to read it. <laughs> Not read about it or read what other people think about it, but just read it yourself. That's another thing. We, we read books written by people about the Bible we look at devotions, what other people have to say about the Bible but what about you just reading the Bible and trusting the Holy Spirit that he's going to open your eyes and heart and help you understand it's so easy to just put your your airpods on or plug in and listen to what other people think about the Bible I think we've lost the art of just sitting down and reading the Bible, whether you're reading a paper Bible or whether you're reading it on your app but just reading is the first R. The second one is reflect. Think about what you just read. Don't just rush through it and say, well, I read my chapter, check, I read a few verses, check. No, think about it, reflect. Think, there's so little competition. We go at such a horrendous pace today that we just don't take time to sit and think about information or input we're getting, whether it's Bible reading or anything else. The third R is respond. So go back over the passage you just read and respond to it in prayer. What did God bring to your attention? What stood out to you in this passage? Just talk to God about it. Lord, I read this morning about joy, and I just haven't been very joyful the last couple of weeks. So I want to confess that, and I want to ask for your help and your grace. Allow me to experience the joy of my salvation so respond and then the last one is record just write a few thoughts down keep it a spiritual journal so read and as you're reading you're marking with a pencil or highlighting something you're reflecting and thinking about it you're responding in prayer just talking to god about what he just talked to you about and then you're writing a few thoughts down i've been journaling probably for 30 to 40 years right now i do my journaling in a an application called Evernote. It's free. It doesn't cost anything on my computer. And if you were to go to my computer and go all the way to the bottom, it goes back nine years. So I have nine years worth of journaling. Now, I used to keep paper journals, and I got tired of all of them lined up on my bookcase. I decided I'm going to go electronic. I'm not going to keep creating more and more. Besides that, I can't read my own handwriting, let alone having somebody else try to read it. So it's in Evernote. So those are four just practical R's. And, and in addition to that, I'm a big fan of Scripture memory, so I memorize verses, and I meditate over them and pray over them, and once again asking for God's grace and God's help. Let me give you a little something. Sometimes people will say, so as so I'm reading the Bible, what, what am I looking for? What, what, what can be helpful? So is there, how do I decide what is in the chapter? Let me give you something very simple uh, that you can write down. It's called SPEAK. S-P-E-A-K. Asking God to speak to you. So here it is. Uh, Is there a sin to avoid in this section that I just read? Is there a promise that God is making me in this passage that I can claim? Is there an example to follow? Or to not follow? If you're reading about Saul, it's an example not to follow. Is there action in this passage that I can take? Is there knowledge that I can acquire? So 4R is just a helpful little framework for you. I'm not telling you where to read, how much to read, when to read. But that's just a kind of a framework of read, reflect, respond in prayer, and then write something down. So you can go back. What did God talk to me about yesterday or last week or last month? So once a month, I go back and review all of my journaling for the past month and just reflect and pray and confess and ask God for his help and his grace. So here are two words as I wrap it up here uh, that are, at this point, my life very meaningful. And that is I want to be faithfully intimate. Faithfully intimate. Not faithfulness with little or no intimacy. Well, I'm faithful reading my Bible, but I'm not getting anything out of it. And I'm not meeting God, and I'm not hearing from God. So I don't want to have a faithfulness with little intimacy, nor do I want infrequent intimacy. Well, I have intimacy once a month or once every three months. I want to by God's grace and God's help, because of who Jesus is in me and who I am in Him. I want to be faithfully intimate with my habits of the heart. So here's what I'd like to have you do. I want you to just to sit quietly for a few seconds or a minute what did you hear this morning just write a thought down somewhere for yourself what do you believe God is nudging you or showing you or telling you this morning that you say this is something I want to take some action on you don't don't have to write a lot down just write a simple little thought I'm gonna start reading my Bible on a daily basis I want to start memorizing a verse I want to revisit my worship habits or pathways uh, it's stale. It's old. Whatever it is, I'm just going to be quiet. And I want everyone that's sitting here to write something down. What did you hear this morning by the Holy Spirit? And what do you think God would have you do? Then I'm going to pray for us, and then the worship team is going to come back up. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for your birth. Thank you for your death on our behalf. Thank you that the tomb was empty, that you rose again from the dead, that we have the hope of resurrection. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Thank you that you're coming again. And then we pray, Lord Jesus, have your own way. You are the potter, we are the clay. Help us, by your grace, to anchor our identity in you and in no one else or nothing else. Help us to develop intimacy with you as we stand on you, the solid rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Feet.